It's the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help you maximize your marketing automation and your CRM. CheshireImpact.com. Boom. Now, my guest today. Oh, we have scheduled and finally it's going to happen. And I got to say, I'm super excited because my guest today, I've actually worked with her for a long time, a long time actually at Cheshire Impact. And she's amazing. She's worked with hundreds of clients, helping them implement marketing automation, helping them take to the next step, helping out map out their process, helping align their sales teams. Title, she is a senior revenue optimization consultant. She's also the team leader of the, the client consulting success group. My gosh, she is a revenue optimization wizard. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrea Frazier, how you doing? Oh my gosh, I'm good. I feel like there's like fake audience, woo! in the background yeah, you know, for my introduction. We'll just put in a huge roar of a crowd. I think so, yeah. So everyone listening will be like, oh, live studio audience. This is kind of like sure. the Big Bang Theory. It's a sitcom. Yeah, exactly. It is a, Well, yeah, it, it can be a sitcom sometimes. Uh, and, and just like with sitcoms, we have a theme, unless it's, unless it's what? Um, Friends, where it's a show about nothing. This is not a show about nothing. This is a show no. about maximizing marketing. And one of the things in our roadmap, we had this thing called the CSI. It's how you maximize your marketing automation. It tells you don't just go blast out emails to people. There's steps to take. And so January, we talked about knowing your buyer. Then we talked about setting up your metrics so you can see what's working and what's not working. More steps came after that. And finally, 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 we're on the fun step, which is nurturing, actually using marketing automation, actually using your email, your sales team, your marketing team to nurture your prospects, nurture your buyers into that final, final step across the finish line. So that's the theme. And I'm super excited. And Andrew, you were the first for this theme because honestly, you and Cheshire Impact knows the most about nurturing from all these 100 clients we've helped set up marketing automation. We've seen clients do it the right way, the wrong way. So on the note, we'd like to start off the show by smashing myths, by like punching things in the face. A bogus strategy or maybe just things that people you know, think is the right strategy when they first come into it and then we teach them, we set the record straight. So what do you want to smash today? Oh man, I mean, I love to say that everyone's perfect and that they're all doing everything right, but really number <laughs> one, and it just gets at all of us, I think is the monthly newsletter. You know, clients come and they're like, yep, we're totally nurturing. We're doing a great job with nurturing. And I ask exactly, how are you doing that? And it's one monthly newsletter, the same one to everyone. To everyone. Once a month. And that's nurturing. Oh, that's gross. Because they probably have, I mean, they have, you have multiple buyers usually, different personas. Multiple buyers, different people, different people. things they care about, different pain yeah. points. And not all of them care about what you have to say in your monthly newsletter. And it's heartbreaking uh, to say that, but it's so true. And I would say that's definitely number one. That's number one. So newsletters aren't it. Do they serve no. any purpose? I mean, they definitely can, right? There's nothing yes. long, wrong with having a monthly newsletter to serve updates. But when you just think about how many other great ways there are to like actually nurture and, you know, a lot of times newsletters are just about you and your company and what you really think everyone should care about right. when actually it has nothing to do with your buyer and what they care about. Right. So it's not at its fundamental fact, anything to do with nurturing. Huh. So 
it but what's interesting is you can do that with the most basic you could you could send a newsletter with outlook <laughs> you know exactly put all your yeah. put all your prospects and buyers and customers and hopefully in bc and not in cc um right. but you put them all in there you just blast it out there and they're gonna probably treat the same as if you're paying lots of money for a marketing automation tool it's like there's so much technology these days why not use it and you have the ability to in it to make it feel like it's one-on-one -on -one nurturing you know Right. Well, it's and so, that, and like yeah. when you get emails in your inbox, the ones as you're going through, it's so easy to swipe and delete now. It, it's just so hard to say that the only thing you're doing with nurturing is sending out a monthly newsletter with probably the subject line, this month's newsletter. Yeah. It's just such an easy one for people to delete. And it's not about them. They don't have time. There's so many things going on. I mean, it's just not the best bang for your buck with everything else that you can be doing and all the tools you have out there to use. Yeah, you know, that's so true. I, I think I once heard it said that people delete first in their inbox. So you kind yeah. of go through and purify. And, and I think it back to even my own, because I've also heard somewhere that says, like, don't read an email twice. Like, if you, you can handle it, read the email, take care of it. The easiest thing to take care of is a newsletter, because you're like, I don't have time to read this right now. I'll read the next one. And then you just... Mm -hmm. For me, it's like swipe one of the directions, whichever it is. It's like muscle memory now. Just it's gone. And then those other ones that are maybe more personalized nurtures, I may have to evaluate those or check those out. So they, at least they get a look as opposed right. to the newsletters. And you know what? You tend to run out of stuff too. Yeah. You're going to repeat yourself every month. And so then yeah. it, you know, then it becomes a quarterly newsletter. But even then, subject line, quarterly newsletter. I'm someone who hasn't bought your product or your service, I get to my inbox in the morning and there's a million messages. Am I going to get to your quarterly newsletter? No, I'll maybe catch up with you on social, do something else, hope that it comes out some other way, but not just the newsletter. Something more needs to be there, I think. So newsletter isn't it. And, it, and I've, I've yeah. mentioned this before. I've told the story. I used to write for a, a travel magazine in New Hampshire. New Hampshire only has so many, I mean, it's beautiful. I, I love living here. But in terms of like, press like things to write about in a full color magazine. There's only so many things. You're going to repeat yourself. You're going to repeat yourself. But if you're trying not to repeat yourself, you got to start going to the bottom of the barrel. And I started out writing about hockey lessons and visiting the four corners of the state and all sorts of craziness. And it ended up being, you know, a year or two later, writing about the model train museum, which is okay great. But that's i'm not sure exactly. great the quilting don't you have quilting museums yeah quilting meetings probably your <laughs> village oh this is our yeah. this is our eight-part series about the shaker village by the way shaker village don't buy the cookies they have no sugar apparently it's against the religion oh. no sugars i had one when i was six i was traumatized eating a cookie with no sugar um but yeah so you run out of things so what happens is people's best content and their best creative ideas happens the first five or six episodes or five or six articles or issues of their newsletter. And then what do you do? Now you're under the gun. You got to just sort of mm -hmm. drag stuff up. I was chatting earlier with Samantha Stone and she was saying, look, don't just do, you know, be consistent, but not for the sake of consistency. If you have nothing to right. say, don't force people to eat your garbage. So well, what kind of call to actions can you have in a newsletter other than read the full press release here? True. You're not going to get a lot of click-through rates, engagement. And just for me, I mean, clients just get so disappointed. They see the click-through rates and the engagement on these newsletters. It's dismal. Yeah. So I think the best thing they can be doing is other cooler, still easy, not super difficult nurturing that's going to really move them forward and 
give them some momentum that they all really want to see. That's true. And you spend a lot more time too doing a newsletter because there's probably like oh, yeah. five or six articles or more. Rendering and tests. Rendering <laughs> tests every time because it's new content. It's just not automated. It's just not, you know, when we talk about marketing automation, capture, nurture, automate, you're, you're not automating. You're not, you're not nurturing really. It's not speaking to them and you're not doing it on an automatic way in an evergreen way. So, okay. So we beat this thing up. Newsletters. Yep. It's, it's OG. It's old school. They have some purpose, but man, you should be nurturing them first. So paint a picture of what the ideal nurture is and then we'll bust some more myths. Yeah. I mean, the ideal nurture for me, it can be anything. I mean, there's yeah. so many options out there. If you Google lead nurturing, you're going to be overwhelmed. And I would say it really comes down to, are you speaking to what your buyers care about and what they're interested in and where they're yeah. at in the buyer's journey and who they are, what their interests are in their role? I think it's, it's definitely a lot more personal, um, which is why the newsletter's a little bit defunct. Um, yeah. But it can be anything. That's the cool thing. There's so many opportunities to do it better. I think that's what makes the newsletter not so effective. Not that it's terrible. It's just, wow, just wait till you crack open the egg of lead nurturing and you're going to realize you're going to have too many ideas and you're going to have to weed them down to get better, more effectively nurturing. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Let's smash some more things and then, you know, probably even just talk about the basics or just even rehash, rehash what is the core elements of of uh, a nurturing campaign or drip campaign. Absolutely. Um, anything else to smash? <sighs> okay. Another one would be, you know, marketing comes to us. The marketing team has developed this super sophisticated nurture idea. They've completely doped it out, but oh, they've yeah. done it all themselves in the silo. Huh. They haven't involved other teams. We haven't talked to other departments, the sales team, the product development team, the, the delivery team who have better insights into the perspective, the questions, right. the goals of the audience you're talking to. So I think a lot of times people come to us and the more advanced clients will say, okay, this is what we've built out. Here it is. It's a series of 45 different engagement wow. programs or sure. series of emails. And this is how it works. And it looks great on the flow diagram, but it turns out it was just developed by marketing in a silo and it wasn't a more collaborative process. I would say that's kind of a big myth is that you can just throw it on paper and make it so. Yeah, like develop it in a silo all by your lonesome, you know? Like yeah. like get a bag of Skittles, hole up in the corner, just make your own nurture campaign and not involve other people that are in that that journey, the other the other folks in that on that team. Well, it makes sense to include sales. It, it can Absolutely. seem kind of risky, but like what kind of things would you not get? by not including sales? You just missed the mark on the audience? or Well, if you think about sales, I mean, their whole premise, and this goes to say, no matter what kind of selling, and there's tons of different yeah, yeah. strategies and ways that this is done now, but sales, their primary function is building relationships with these people, right? right. So they are the ones like marketing who, I guess, historically or stereotypically would have the role of lead nurturing Yes, they have some awareness of the audience. They might have done, you know, a great buyer persona process and gone through developing these buyer personas, but sales are the ones that are having these conversations day to day, usually interacting, maybe even face to face with this audience. You know, I think it's just doing yourself a disservice if you're not at least pulling a little bit out of their intimacy with that audience and what they know. Interesting. You're right. You know, I guess, I guess we can kind of forget that nurturing is like a sales tactic. It's the idea of 
reaching out to someone on a regular basis, giving them some connecting with them, like knowing what gets them, what doesn't get to them, you know, to help drive the sale. Yeah. Building trust, educating, maybe having a little fun along the way exactly, and on a regular basis. And then all we're doing is sort of duplicating that and sort of assisting that effort in an automated way in marketing automation. It's not like rocket science, but, since sales has been doing it historically, it might make sense to rather than reinvent the wheel, to your point, ask them what's up, see what kind of impact they've had, what kind of input they have. Interesting. You know, um, I once, uh, I was doing an onsite uh, with one of our customers and early on in the process, we were trying to figure out different personas and who they're going after to, to see what, what's the first segment who's the first persona we should go after who's most important um and then what kind of terms do they really you know what what sort of lights them up like oh yeah i'll take the call and marketing had their ideas uh Mm -hmm. but someone's brilliant idea was to invite the sdr guy in or one of the people one of the best sdr probably the most talkative guy right this is like this is not even the sales person so in the world of sales, your SDR or your, your biz dev person can be kind of low in the totem pool. I mean, it's like an entry level dial for dollars kind of thing. So they invited him in there, but you know what? He knew more than everyone. He knew yep. more than all the marketing people, even the sales people that, that just received quality leads. This guy knew and he actually said, look, there's a couple things. When I call people, I leave them a voicemail or I send them an email. If I know that they're experiencing some of these particular issues because they filled out in the form, they looked at a white paper with that topic, I will include that topic in there. I, and one was like an audit. Another one was like um, if you're being acquired. There's certain trigger points that this company was perfectly equipped to help them out with. And he said, if I include that in the subject or if I speak to that and how we can help them with that, they call me back right away. You know, and so he was right. like, so anytime I can get this information, it's really helpful. And we're like, well, dang, we got to ask this question. Right. Like, every form possible. Do you have any of these following five things happening to you right now? Because we can, we'll reach out. And we made the, the phone number just sort of like magically the box appeared. If you said, yes, you did have one of those things. We could call you and, and help you out. But you're right. Um, you know, there's so much value to including sales and, and not even reinventing the whole thing. Like, oh, let me just right. thing in a box. They've already been doing it. They're just maybe not doing it efficiently or automated. So, Exactly. And it doesn't have to just be emails, right? Like I think that's the other thing is that in the silo of marketing, that doesn't just mean that they came up with it and didn't consider any other teams, but it's not just in those three stages to when you hand over a lead to sales that nurturing is valuable, right? I mean, think of all the times that you're handing over leads to sales sure. and they have a long list that same. And I love the SDR BDR perspective too. I think yeah. especially on onsites, it's like oh, they come yeah. in and they have this nugget of gold that like we didn't even expect to come out. And it's, it's crazy how that works, but totally. I mean, there's so much nurturing that can be done there and nurturing isn't necessarily that marketing email that happens before the lead handoff. True. It's emails afterwards, it's conversations afterwards, interactions at trade show booths, it's events, all of those things are leading up and are a tactic in nurturing. So I think, you know, that same myth of it just being a marketing capacity that marketing can create in their own silo, I think it also can extend beyond that handoff to sales. And I think that's another part of that myth. Is Smash that, that myth, Andrea. Smash boom. It. I, that's the biggest one because there's almost more value when we extend it through 
the very, at least in the beginning parts of that sales process, when we've done the right. handoff, I, I would argue it's almost more valuable there sometimes than it can be in that initial brand awareness, top of mind awareness type nurturing that you typically hear about in marketing. Sure. Sure. So what we're saying is don't stop nurturing. Well, I can see why you're saying don't stop nurturing when the handoff happens to sales. Right. But sometimes sales gets a little protective. They're like, okay, it's my they lead do. now. I own it. I have the con back away from the controls of the submarine. This is my boat now. <laughs> you know, they're like, I got this. But then what do they do? I'm they don't got analyzing. it. And so I'm going to get like hate tweets later from salespeople. But a lot of times the bad salespeople don't even call the person. And so they're like, well, hey, even if oh, they do, I mean, yeah. you only have so many hours in a day, right? So like no hate on sales. Answer. I'm all hating on sales and you're, you're right. Like, you're right. No, I mean, there's only the so many yeah. hours yeah. and if they're really, you know, they always say sales, what's your primary goal? You really want to prioritize and any sales manager will tell right. you, I want my sales reps focusing on pipeline yeah. and deals with the best propensity to close. Hell yeah. And so Anytime I go on site with clients, and this is the most common thing, right? Sales is like, nope, it's ours at that point. I want dibs on that. And I think there's this idea that they're admitting defeat if they let marketing come back in and do some nurturing from right. in that process. Right. That's but I would point. argue like, no, let them help you, right? Because you don't have time for that. You have that other one that's stage pre-closing. You need to focus on them and what they need, not necessarily those ones that they're still asking their boss's boss's boss and all of that. I think there's a lot of opportunity right there for nurturing and it's not giving up ownership or admitting defeat. It's being effective at nurturing. You know, that's really, it, you like highlighted this idea that one of the challenges between sales and marketing and aligning those two or marketing and sales, if you think linearly or technically linearly, it's like marketing, sales, marketing, 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 sales, sales, yeah. sales, 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 marketing, marketing, uh, back and forth uh, is, is that idea of ownership. Um, not only ownership, but uh, whose fault is it, or did I drop the ball, or whoever owns? If it goes back to marketing, that means it was either bad lead, shame on marketing, or bad sales rep, shame on sales. Or maybe they just weren't ready. Yeah. So and that's usually it, right? It's yeah. like they get that far. The BDR talks to them. The BDR is usually again going back to the BDR. Props to any BDRs listening. Yep, yep. Um, I mean, a lot of the time they're not ready, and so you know, I would argue that more effective to identify that early say oh not ready have nurturing set up specifically for those audiences knowing that there's a large subset of people who get that far but they're just not quite there yet that's the sweet spot i really do think so yeah. you know you i know you do a lot of work in this arena where you'll go on these on sites and and it's kind of funny because I'm like, I'm going to ask you questions that I may already know the answer to, but I want people to get the sense of what you do. Um, and then we can extract some of the, the takeaways and the best practices. Um, there's a thing that we do where it's revenue optimization. We go in and you go in on an onsite and you help companies with huge sales teams and marketing teams or, you know, huge or not, just sales and marketing, you help them align but that seems like quite the feat. It's almost like walking into a WWE ring. So <laughs> tell me more about that. I mean, you, you, you fly in to do an onsite and how does this all go down? And what's your, how, how do you approach that? Yeah, you know, initially it's a lot of listening. It's hearing out exactly what's happening now, but also hearing out like what's not going so well. So a lot of like the first couple hours or so, like you said, I mean, it, 
I've seen varying degrees of tension in the room because I do yeah. encourage it to be marketing and sales. It can't be effective to just talk to the marketing team to really right. set things up for success. And it's really throwing it all out there. So it's yeah. setting up the expectations of nothing we're saying in this room is you know, throwing shade at someone intentionally, but it's more right. what's going well, what are we doing now? What's not going well? Where are we getting stuck? And where are the inefficiencies? Hmm. And part of that is not only mapping out, okay, you know, how do you get new leads? Okay, great. Thanks, marketing. Um, then what happens to them? What kinds of email? Oh, you're sending a monthly newsletter. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> you know, moving on, like, right. how are you qualifying? When are you sending them over to sales? And then from there, you know, what happens then? Like, does it go to a BDR? What types of, what are the scenarios that play out when you have a BDR conversation? Right. Um, what if they're not quite ready, but they're kind of ready, but they're not quite there? That's usually that weird middle ground, like I said, that's, in my opinion, kind of the sweet spot for some nurturing opportunity for sure. Yeah. And kind of just pulling down the barriers of it. It's not a marketing against sales. It's let's set this up so that we all have our accountabilities and we know what we have ownership of. And I say right. we, meaning the marketer, the BDR, the sales rep, sure. the sales manager. And making sure that all of those accountabilities and metrics line up properly, because oftentimes right. marketing has to deliver X number of leads to sales and then they're done, right? They've done their nurturing sure. to get to that point, but then they're, that's their only metric and sales is expected to run with it from there. Mm. But there's feedback loops in there usually that end up being the sweet spot for, for lead nurturing and for really bringing people across the finish line in terms of revenue. You know, I've, I've been with you on a couple of these and you do a great job of asking these questions. And to your point, it's just, it's almost like the questions, they, they can highlight things without saying, marketing, you suck at this, sales, you suck at this. You're like, hey, what, ha what happens this? It's almost like the what if. You're, you're asking along the whole journey, along that whole process, what happens here? Okay, well, what if this? What if that? Okay, now how about here? And you're just being very deliberate about all the way along the, the way, and it just brings so many things to people's minds where they're like, wow, actually we have nothing for that particular, you know, or, or right. we we'll go off in this direction. What kind of, what kind of, you know, I, I'm sure it gets kind of intense, but the way you ask that, I, I mean, have you had just really, you know, have you had like marketing and sales being like super yes. aggro with each other? That's like, I have, yeah. it's usually very passive aggressive, which is almost worse where you can feel well, it, but no one's actually, are though, right? Right. Well, I don't know. It's usually on the sales side where it's really? like, but what's going to happen here? And it's like, you guys, let's stop for a second. <laughs> Do you actually have time to follow up with all 400 leads, even if they're not that great? True or false? And oftentimes, and you know, there have been situations where it's like little daggers being thrown on both yeah. sides, like marketing saying, well, I don't think we'd have a problem if our leads um, were progressing, which means, you know, Sub, yeah. Subtext. We're throwing them against if sales the wall. did stuff with leads that we send them. So I think a lot of it is like making them realize that by handing back and forth and doing like you said, it's marketing sales, marketing sales, 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 marketing, marketing sales, instead of marketing sales done. Yeah. I think having them realize that they're mutually helping each other by the end of it, and it has been rockier roads on some on sites than others, it's oh, this could actually help us. Because on the sales side, it's like, you're right. I don't have time to follow up with all of these. You're telling me that if I provide these details, 
marketing could run with that and could be keeping us top of mind without me calling them or setting myself a task every two days? And I say, yes. And on the marketing side, they're saying, you mean leads that we're sending over there could actually start moving along and, you know, we could (laughs) help that process more. (laughs) Yeah. And it ends up being like, oh, we all are really in this together. You know, kumbaya, whatever song you want to sing, but it's, it's crazy how it works like that. That's a, it's so cool. You get to experience that because it's like, you're experiencing people's aha moments. You're like Mm -hmm. the, Tony Robbins of sales and marketing alignment, you know? Well, like, they start geeking out towards the end where you almost have to reel them back in. It's like, oh, we could send this. And that's kind of the other <laughs> yeah. big thing. It's like, don't go too overboard. Let's start yeah. small. Let's Baby refine stuff. as we go. <laughs> but man, by like two o'clock, if I'm doing a full day on site, get there at eight. From eight to 9.30, it's awkward. Ooh, From 9.30 to 10, we're really dishing it out. We have lunch. And then at like 2.30, it's like almost having to reel in. Like, these are all great ideas, but let's do a phase one, phase two, phase three, two all of these things can't be done at once, but it's, it is really cool to see. I feel lucky I get to. Yeah, totally. Just remove the Red Bull from the lunch cart so that people aren't going off. (laughs) Right. Well, except I might need that, but yes. Actually. Yeah. (laughs) Like that one time we're in that room that was really hot. It's like we're doing, we're doing this process and onsite and it was hot yoga inside that room. Well, and you like to like walk around. So you were like really sweating it out. Oh, yeah. That's why I wear a blazer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No white shirt. (laughs) Right. So what do you think it is? Because you facilitate this, this really cool connection between two different departments who are literally on the same mission. They just don't know it. What, what are you facilitating? You think like what, what's the magic? Where does it come from in those? I think just making nurturing not just sound like it's for marketing. You know what I mean? Like making it more attainable by all groups. Mm. And and as much as I can, like by giving ideas and use cases and my own experience with clients and pointing out that some of the best nurturing is the, the stuff that maybe traditionally sales feels like that should be them doing, but really it, it makes sense for them all to be supporting the same cause. I really think it's, actually defining nurturing and not making it some weird hokey marketing term that marketers tweet about on the daily. It's not a hashtag. It's something more than that. What I was saying was if marketing is confused by, by nurturing, and we know from our CSIs that most of them aren't doing it. A lot of people aren't doing nurturing yet, yet being the keyword because we want them to do it. We're going to help them do it. We're going to teach them how to do right. it. But if most of marketing is a little confused about what nurturing is, no doubt sales is. Right. Right? Exactly. No doubt they're like, I don't know what weirdness marketing's up to, but I'm gonna go buy my own sales app that does the exact same thing and just duplicate <laughs> efforts with marketing. Right. They they're right. gonna get fifteen different tools that do kind of the same thing, but it wasn't defined as nurturing. Right. But it, it right. is. Yeah, no, that that's crazy. So so no doubt they would know what it is. So it's almost like you're selling it internally. We're not, you know, say sell, selling it, but making sure everyone's on the same page with what's possible, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what's in it for them too. You know, maybe marketing and, and sales. I often said that, you know, if, if you align everything to revenue, if everyone's on the same page, look, we're all trying to get these deals closed. So, you know, like I'm, I'm not just going after my lead metric. I think lead metrics is, I mean, it's great to track, but it's one of those things that can really distract marketing to the point where, we get so hung up on leads, we create different kinds of leads, and then we geek out on leads, and then sales is like, that's cool, I don't really care, because 
right? Or like a lot of it's just that metrics are set up incorrectly, right? Mm -hmm. So if marketing's metric is lead generation, when it gets close to the end of the month and they're not close to that number, what are they going to do? They're going to lower their requirements for a qualified lead and throw them over there, which then stacks on top of a BDR whose metrics is appointment set. Right. Does that make sense? Because what are they going to do towards the end of the month? And usually, like you said earlier, like the ways that they're paid and like how high they're up on the totem pole, their propensity to just say, okay, well, I'm just going to set appointments whether I think these people are really ready or not. I mean, by the time we get to sales, no wonder sales feels that way, right? Because they do get bogus leads. And if you're just to like shift it completely and say, let's kind of eliminate some of that and make sure that our metrics make sense and that nurturing is a shared endeavor with the goal of generating revenue, then we're eliminating a lot of those reasons that sales had the bad, you know, the bad impression in the first place. So I think a lot of it too is still providing, like not making it so kumbaya where there's not actionable metrics and people know what they're responsible and accountable for. Because a lot of it is accountability. It's making sure that the KPIs that are set up are set up in such a way that marketing is not influencing the BDR's team's ability to succeed and the BDRs aren't in control of the destiny of the sales rep's ability to, to succeed. Once all of those barriers are taken out of it, it really pulls down the competitive nature of it and makes it a little bit more, we're all in it together, let's do this, but here are my metrics, here's my dashboard that shows me my metrics, here are the feedback loops that do go back to marketing because that's a good idea marketing. And when I say marketing, I usually mean automated through a marketing automation tool that we've all come up with together of the messaging and the series and cadence of those messages. And then honestly, it's so easy after that because we all understand that it's like, okay, yeah, we're doing that. And I'm helping in these ways. That's really cool. I don't know if you have any, any stories of experiences like that happening. I think one that I have that comes to mind is uh, I was in in a similar kind of thing like this um, before it was really formalized and I was sort of sitting down with everyone and marketing was there as we are. And yeah. then sales is like, they're ready to go. I don't got time for this. Sales is like, so it was just, it was one person from sales. It was the leader. It was, I think it might've been the VP. Now we got VPs of marketing directors, all the coordinators on the marketing side, but the VP of sales, he comes in, he's checking his watch. You know, it's like a commercial checking his phone. Yep. It's like, you got five minutes, you know? So, okay, cool. Let's just talk about, you know, what the benefits of nurturing are, what this looks like and how it benefits the sales team and get some quality leads and grading and scoring and all this stuff by the, by the end of that, you know, a little tiny bit of time, he had moved his calendar around so he could stay. And he had pinged a couple people on his team to come join the meeting and was like, was like, in. I mean, have you experienced anything like that? Um, or- I mean, every time. I every can't even time. tell you. Yeah. Every single time. Cool. I mean, sometimes there's more people that come, but they all they have their laptops. They're planning to zone out for it to mostly yeah. be about marketing. They've gone through practices like this before, right? They've had another consultant come in and like give them what they assume to be the same song and dance. Like Um, a really big expensive consulting group. They paid millions of dollars. Right. They wear suits, like the whole should be, you know, and I don't know, every time, I guess the craziest story I have really is is similar to what you said when the BDR comes in, it's when I I pulled up some numbers, right? Because this was a really tough sales manager. He wasn't going to have it all. He's like, this is, marketing's been delivering 
crap leads for years. And yeah, I'm sure he's my team's too. cold calling. I bought this awesome tool. Let me tell you about it, which yep. is the same tool that everyone's developed, which there are some great tools out there. No shade on that. But essentially he was saying that his team's doing their own rogue marketing to which I then pulled a report to show how often one particular, and I pulled a couple of examples, were getting conflicting messaging and how often marketing was sending a oh, message wow. and then sales was sending like the same message or a different message, like a second or two later and kind of put it up on a graph compared to, you know, their opt out rate and the size of their database dwindling, the more this happened. Oh no. And I think it made him realize like, oh, we are competing with ourselves. Right. Yes. And it wasn't, and it wasn't fun to do that, but it was like the last straw, right? I had tried all my other um, tricks and um, questions, like you said, to try to break down the barrier. And it was that, it was proving that like, y'all are messaging to these people way too much. Yeah. If we can just optimize what's being said when with some relevant nurturing and some process behind what that is and what that looks like and who's owning it and how the system's set up to support it, you're going to see it success. And that's all right. it took. Right. And then I cool. threw in the, the part about, and then your sales team could focus on just closing all of these deals. Again, another report, click yeah. presentation, all <laughs> of these there. deals that are stuck in this first stage of your opportunities and no sales manager wants to see a pipeline oh. report where yeah, the funnel has <laughs> this oh, right. at the top. And oh, this at the bottom. Yeah. You just framed it for him and it sounds like Got the picture, and then it was good. They're on the path. They're on the path to fixing it up. That's really cool. I mean, we could probably go back and forth with thousands of stories. I I love to kind of narrow it down and say, okay, someone someone isn't nurturing right now, and maybe they're doing a newsletter, maybe not. Doesn't really matter if they are. Um, where do they start? Where do they start with nurturing? If someone doesn't have any nurturing, where would you take them first? And then, what do you set up? But, and I know yeah. there's always the, the asterisk of, you know, di different, different, you know, families and different companies, different, th different ways about things. But that being said, is there a particular path you take people down to develop their, their best nurturing? Absolutely. I think it really comes down to what you're doing in the present, right? If you know you are an organization, you're doing a lot for those brand new leads yeah. that come into your system. So top of funnel, you're killing it right? You have all this stuff that's going out. I think there's usually opportunity to tighten that up a bit more to make it more intentional and sure. um, make it more about the buyer. So using what you already have and what you might be just sending out in blast and mentioning in your newsletter, setting it up more intentionally into programs, maybe by persona, maybe it's by the exact stage that they're at. That's okay. an easy win because it's right. content you already have. If you're not doing that, yet if you don't have anything i mean that would be a great place to start if you're already doing that i think really then there's still i mean that's very basic i think it's extending like where's a group of your audience that you feel hasn't been communicated with in a long time and you can pull reports hmm. that tell you who hasn't received an email who hasn't engaged that is another just like low-hanging fruit so i say in general it's really don't make it overly complicated, right? We, we're not here to create 45 different programs that feed into each other and have 15 different iterations based on specific job title. But what's a segment of your audience that you think there's a lot of opportunity to uncover? And building a nurture for them, kind of as a pitching point or momentum gathering 
function to sure. more exciting nurturing down the road. So got it. So you're, you're picking the, the best segment you can possibly go after. And then are you, are you building all sorts of branches and decision trees right away or you're keeping it simple emails? emails. Yeah. How, I mean, it's like you could look at like the, the gigantor with all the different paths and different emails, but it all started somewhere. So exactly. So I would say it starts in a series, a linear series, even sure. of send an email, right? And there's a lot of different strategies and yeah. ideas out there that would tell you different things. But at its sense, like a linear, there's nothing wrong with a linear sure. drip series of emails of send an email, wait a month, send another email. Wait a month. Maybe it's less time depending on sure. how much they're engaging. And, you know, it's not a set it and forget it thing. You're not going to set up the perfect engagement program, drip program right away and then walk away, collect your check every, every two weeks, <laughs> right. tell your boss you're working hard because you're sending Woo. all these cool reports of all the emails that go yeah. out. I mean, there's definitely some refinement that goes into it, but there is absolutely nothing wrong with starting with just a linear drip send an email, wait, send an email, wait until they hit, you know, whatever lead qualification rule you have for handing them to sales. And if we're talking about nurturing beyond that, you know, what are we expecting? What's the objective of this nurturing program or series? Putting emails in place, monitoring and tweaking as needed. Huh? Yeah. Not overthinking it, you know, because the whole point was just to make sure they're touched. Now, you want to fine-tune and improve and optimize the content you're sending so you're not annoying, you're not sending sending something helpful to the buyer, but do that. It's like, do that once a month, to your point, or every other week. And you don't have to make it every lean at once, too. I feel like sometimes clients will come to us and they'll have like, okay, I want to start this nurture program. This is how I want it. Send email one. Wait a day and a half. If they're wearing a green shirt and they're (laughs) a sales role, And they're using their mobile device to open this email, send this one. If they're wearing a blue shirt, they are a female and they're a marketing role, send this other one. And I I always tell them like, great, conceptually, we're thinking in the right direction, right? Because they're, I mean, marketing automation and Salesforce and CRM is so powerful. Absolutely. Can that be done? Sure thing. Sure. Is that what's going to make you successful? No. So I always tell people, start small. Yep. If all you want is engagement, then you don't need all those bells and whistles necessarily. Definitely be speaking to your buyer. Always have your buyer top of mind. I think we've covered that in other podcasts, but sure, just be delivering the messaging with the idea that you want to educate them and then you're doing just fine and you can always get fancier as you go. Right, right. And, and I think, you know, to your other, to your other point, it's, it's your best content. I mean, we, we all hate it on newsletters because let's be honest, this is a hardcore marketing show. We're going to tell you the truth. The truth, people, right. is that that's not nurturing. That's that's something. It's an activity, and I hope it's a great one, but that's not nurturing, and it's time to nurture. So evergreen content, content that answers a question for your buyer now and four mm-hmm. months from now. It's like, it's like the best articles you would have written in that newsletter. Put those in your drip campaign. Give someone... Don't give it all away at once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might as well stagger it out. And it keeps you top of mind. So if if they say, you know, one of the biggest things I've heard too, and this happens when people try to explain what one of the values of marketing automation is that oftentimes your lead will say, I'm ready. Everything indicates yes. They go to sales. They go on the phone with sales. And they're like, 
call me in six months, you know? And sales doesn't know if that, no one really knows if that's real or if that's like a brush off. And I was once talking about- Probably a line. It could be a line. It could be a line. Um, I was talking to a guy from, from Europe, I think like Sweden or something. It's kind of a jerk. Um, nothing on Sweden, but he was very direct. And, he, and one of his frustrations when he came to the U.S. in the sales um, role was that he never knew what was what because we were also, he said, we're also nice over here. No one wanted to tell you just flat out no. And he's like, I'd actually rather have that so I can stop wasting my time on you. The person that says, call me back Sorry. in six months, I'm going to call you back in six months and, and you're still going to tell me. To, and I, I'm guilty of that. I do that all the time. I don't tell me. I do, I'm from the South. You know? I'm like, oh yeah, your product's great. Call me in nine months. You know, maybe Q3, this would be a great project to tackle, you know? Yeah, um, let me pass say, you off to my uh, CEO. Yeah, this is this is not going to work out, sales guy or gal. Yeah. Um, and then just avoid the calls. Like, I, I'm guilty, I have to say. I think yeah, a lot of people are. I've had that recently. There's a couple of people I've had to uh, put on. Yeah, sorry. If you're, hey, if you listen to this podcast and, you heard, and, you're, and you're trying to sell me something, that it gives you bonus points for sure. But, uh, but, the, but the point was that um, you know, these people uh, tell you, call me in six months, and whether they're sincere or not, ideally sales then puts a reminder to call them in six months. Hopefully they do, but they call that the danger zone because what ends yeah. up happening is you know, cue the top gun music. You know, at some point we'll get like NPR level production here and, and I'll say danger zone. It'll be like top gun music behind Along with the applause. Yes. And the applause. Oh, every time you say something, you'll have a laugh track too. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the idea would be it's the danger zone because typically if they are serious, not actually six months, we, mm-hmm. we, un- we underestimate what we can get done in one month. So oftentimes that six months turns into a fraction of it, like, hey, two months later. And we've got some great, you know, we've got some real evidence if anyone's interesting, uh, interested. We've got physical evidence of this. where Screenshots, emails, the whole thing. Screenshots, yeah. everything. Where people are like, hey, I did everything I want um, and I'm ready to buy again. And it was like two months later. Now, and it's because why? It's because we were nurturing. Because they got nurtured. Yeah, that's what happened. So there's one particular person, they said, I'm not going to buy this thing. I got to hire a webmaster. I got to do blah, 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 blah. Right. And maybe they're sincere, maybe not. They actually were. But what ends up happening is two months in, they were ready to go. And, and so if you're not nurturing them, they might restart the sales process, but not necessarily with you. <laughs> it might be with another company or maybe another company is nurturing them and you're not. Yeah, and a company doing it better. Doing it better. They're top of mind. So in this particular case, we have a screenshot of, um, we were nurturing them and they, they got an email once a month, just being helpful, not salesy, not braggy, not buy this thing now. Check out this webinar. Now. Yeah, I was like, hey, yeah. you got this really cool quote or case study you might be interested in, check it out. And the, the prospect actually replied to it and said, I'm ready. Let's do this thing. Let's re-engage. And that was like- I just fell into some money. Let's do this. Yeah, Those are the best funding. emails. <laughs> they are the best emails. Absolutely. And sales, honestly, I bring up that example all the time with clients. I mean, I'm yeah. like, listen, because that sales sees it. And like this email that we have, the example, we should throw it out there on social when this comes out. Like, I mean, people send an email that say, hey, actually, I know I told you six months, but we just got budget. Yeah. You know, we just got this new amount of money. So they're literally saying, Dear sales guy, just fell into some money. Hope we can talk soon. I mean, that is 
the best email. And it's just the exact example of why nurturing is important and why it's not just for marketing. Cause sure. Marketing was part of that. They maybe set up an engagement program and triggered that email, but that was, that was a thought of everyone, a mutual support of the idea of let's generate some revenue for our company. And there we go. Right. And people say, you know, the first, and this is actual percentages. I could make one up and then people just have to call me out on it. But the, the, <laughs> Majority of the time, the first salesperson to call you wins. They're the one you go mm-hmm. with because they can build all the value. They can frame everything, all how you're shopping toward them. They can put little landmines in the way for all the competition. They might call four days later or a week later or a month later or six months later, right? So they can put all these landmines out there for you. So it restarts the process. Hey, call me in six months. Two months later, they're ready to do sales again. You're top yeah. of mind. You're number one on that list. And they're going to reach out to you first because you sent the email. And that's what happened. This person responded to a nurture email because it was personalized. Totally. So, tell me about the personalization because I, I, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen people do it right. I've seen people do it wrong. I get emails from people overseas offering me services. and they, they Calling try. you a female instead of a male. Calling you Andrew instead of Andrea. Yes, <laughs> mister. I, I think some people have me down as Curtis. Thank you. It's not actually me. Dear Curtis. <laughs> yes. I'm like, yeah, I mean, talking to me? <laughs> yeah, personalization and segmentation is, is hard because, again, this is one of yeah. those topics that if you were to Google it, there are so many conflicting things out there. Some people say segmentation is it. You should personalize everything. It's right. the butter to anything that you need, right? And everyone likes butter. And then some people are like butter. defunking the myth. They're saying, oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, but like they're debunking the myth and saying that eh, actually it doesn't matter. You don't need to personalize things. You don't need to right. do targeted marketing. And I would say I fall more towards the segmentation and personalization than I do the not at all. Yeah. But I do think there's such thing as too much, right? If you don't think you have the data, please do not call out the name, the you know job title, the eye color within the content of your email because chances are unless you have a full team dedicated to updating your database that's ballsy you shouldn't do that yeah but like if you want to really do well with nurturing you should be considering like what do my buyers care about like am i writing this for them or is it about me and it goes back to what we said about newsletters are traditionally about you and not about your buyer and that's Mm. where they're fundamentally wrong so I would say, you know, as far as personalization, keep it realistic. Realistic is always my my term when it comes to nurturing. You don't have to create the most sophisticated nurture in the world. You also don't need to make it the most specialized, finite, tiny group so that you have 45 versions of the same email. <laughs> right. I think general categories are fine. Um, categories of buyers based on similar pain points are fine. Because yeah. again, usually those emails are simple, like, Hey, thought you'd really enjoy this webinar we did on this topic. If you have a second, check it out. Hope things are going well. Signed sales rep with their signature and everything. Like those are not super personalized, but they're effective. So I always say just be realistic. Start small, get fancier as you go if you really want to, but maybe you'll find out that you're just as successful being kind of personal. Yeah, like not going crazy with it. Like that's not going to be the sole reason your thing is successful, but it exactly. it helps. It helps with getting that catching that short attention span at the beginning, and then and hopefully your content engages them for the long term. 
but yeah, I, you know, that you can do it right. You can do it wrong. I think what ends up happening is people blend the two. Mm-hmm. It's almost like decide what you're going to be. Are you going to make this email personal? Or are you going to make this email like not personal or corporate? And everyone, each one has its place to AB tested. I don't care. You know, like find out what works for you. But I think when you blend things, it's almost like the idea of trying to be everything for everyone or being generic or being like lukewarm, super lukewarm tea. Like, are you hot or are you cold coffee? Anything like I want, I want the real thing. And so, um, you know, I've often, I've tried to describe, I like drawing this on a white erase, uh, dry erase board where there's like a, a big wall, like a big castle wall between the personal side and the corporate side. And in one of the biggest examples, and I see this all the time is the company logo. Like how many times have you sent a personal email to someone or received one that you know was actually personally written where it had their logo at the top, like a letterhead? Like I'll like say- Like a gorgeous yep. email from a sales rep. Yeah, a gorgeous never happened. Email. Yeah. How many times does a sales rep actually capitalize the letters in their subject line? Never, <laughs> right? So I, I think we can get kind of fancy and marketing can get a little wordy sometimes and, and stuff a whole bunch of keywords into that subject line. and you know, because we may have heard some stats on previous podcasts where if you, if you include the date or include webinar or a timely thing that's going to go away, you're going to get, you know, 4% more this or that clicks and this and that, but then you lose the element of that personalization. And I think there's some magic to the personalization that, that, you know, Pardot or marketing automation tool can do because back to our earlier conversation where people are getting rid of newsletters. Okay. That's already, that's already been gotten rid of, but now they're going through and they're like, Oh, look, it's got a logo at the top and it's, it's saying, you know, dear Christopher, uh, uh, dear Mrs. Christopher <laughs> space comma, you know, uh, all messed up. And you're just like, dear Mr. Andrew. Yeah. yeah Mr. <laughs> Andrew. Uh, n- bye. But then you have one that's like a, a little short one. that looks like someone's written you an email. It's just offering a little webinar, something helpful. It's not being sales. You're like, Oh, that's really cool. Let me check that out. Maybe I want to add that to my, my reading list or watching this for later. And those things can be really powerful. And you mentioned earlier, the subject line at the bottom, I think that's so important. You know, make the, make your email, if you're going to go the personal route, make the email look like someone hit compose new message. And that's the rule. Like compose right. new, what do you see? Do you see a footer? And if your footer has or a signature line, if that has a little graphic and that's cool, ours do, do. but, um, but you don't have like nine paragraphs. Nobody, you know, we're not like an Elizabethan era where we're writing. Right. And no sales letters. guy signs <laughs> something like cordially yours or something yeah. like cordially yours. No. They say cheers, comma, cheers, in lowercase cheers. <laughs> and it's never like sincerely, Dr. David, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm like, no, like that's, you're ruining your whole purpose of being. I agree. It's funny. Yeah. I could go off on like just silly things you see in emails that right. obviously we're jaded. We do this every day. So when we get emails, we're a little bit critical, but super come critical. On. <laughs> I love, I love judging emails. Yeah. If you, if you spam me, you are in a judgment happening zone. It don't is, spam me and then don't respond to me on Twitter. It That's is, my thing. It is happening. Yeah. I know. Well, you know, I just, it's like, you mentioned earlier, like a, a short, little, quick, the word pithy comes to mind, like mm-hmm. a paragraph and a half or like three sentences you're going to get more impact out of your gigantic email. That gigantic email, maybe you got to get that information across. Maybe it's about GDPR or something crazy is going to go down. Put that in the other email. Put that in the branded right. company team-based email. 
but you're not trying to say it's from a person. When, when, you, when you properly separate them, we've seen so many clients get better results from both of them because you can not send blooded. more emails if they're different, right? That's if like one point. of your emails is like templated and go- I mean, gorgeous. We're talking top gorgeous. of the line. You look at Pinterest <laughs> best email templates ever. It's there. It looks gorgeous. Those emails come from your company name. It's, you know, everyone expects those emails and there's value in those emails. Yeah. They're often promotions or release right. notes or features and functionality that people might know about. But if you have those and an email that comes from a salesperson with the signature box at the bottom that's nur- that's true nurturing because you actually have more interactions there because you right. can't send five marketed emails per week without people saying enough's enough. Right. But if you kind of split the difference and you have a little bit of both, I mean, you're also giving yourselves more opportunity to, to be in their piece, to be top of mind. Yeah, that's a good point. It's almost like they have like a threshold where mm-hmm. – if you get to this point on me, I don't care who, and this happens, this is me. If you send me that many emails, I'm not sure what that is. I'm doing like a visual for those depends listeners. Depends on who you are and what your audience is. It for sure. depends. But for me, I have this thing where there's been like nonprofits that I support. There's been um, companies I really care about. I'm a huge fan of their product. But if I get past that threshold of emails and they're not delivering tremendous value, I'm like, unsubscribe, you know, I'm out. And maybe they offer really great content. Maybe they're known for really good. I'm thinking of a specific one in mind, but really great content. And if they send it to you too often, like I know I can go to their website and go to resources content and get it there. I don't need to get the emails all the time because I don't need five, seven in a week. Yeah, you start trimming those things up when you realize your inbox refreshes and you have 30 more things to, to go check off. You're like, I don't need you. You keep coming in. Sometimes once a week is too much. But everyone's got their threshold. But the idea is, oh, you mentioned the, the personal versus the, you know, I've seen it work really well, the, the branded corporate email for webinars, like something mm-hmm. webinar or like a dinner invite. You know, you're in this, you, maybe you say cordially in this email, you're invited to this amazing thing. Um, cause it just says that that event has more production value. Like this is going to totally. be, this is a thing. This is, we're spending uh, money on it. Yeah. This is <laughs> not a, a tweet up. We're actually going to, we're going to have a, a stage and there's going to be pop happy up. hour. Ha- the whole oh, thing. Ha- you know what? Branded emails signal happy hour. It's probably pep- yeah. just be prepared to put the bill. Correct. <laughs> true. True. So you've got that. And then, um, clients have then built a little uh, automated follow-up where a day, two days later, um, there's a personal note saying, hey, I put you on the invite list for that event. Did you get it? If not, here's the link again. Let me know if you can can make it. And we exactly. found people, it's crazy. People respond really well to that, but then they'll also go back to the original uh, registration and they'll they'll click through on that too. So it's like it, all the ships rise at that point. Yeah, and you'd be surprised. That actually reminds me, I went on an onsite once and they were like, the events they had for people were like, box seats at NFL games. And I was like, first of all, Hell I want to yeah. get on that invite list. So I was yeah. like, interesting. Are we a target customer for them? Can, can I know. I was, no, <laughs> but I was trying to still, I was like, to really properly research this, I should yes. probably go to one of these events. No, I'm yes. just kidding. But that's exactly it. They were astonished and they were surprised too, that they didn't have more people clicking RSVP like as soon as they saw it. Because it literally was like box seat to insert your favorite NFL team here. Wow. And until they incorporated some sort of personal like, hey, did you get that? Like it's limited invitees. Make sure that you get on that list before it's closed. 
they, people weren't like RSVP or this blew me away. People would RSVP and then not show up. And I'm oh, like, people. first of all, I'll take those spots. You just let yeah. me know. Jeez. But like nurturing exactly then was perfect for them because that's all they needed to do to really make people realize that someone's banking on them being there. Right. Man. Well, this is great. We could literally geek out on this stuff and we, we probably do. Next time we're in the same geo, we just need to get some drinks and then share war stories. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll just throw that on Periscope or something, but it'll be fun just because these stories are, it's, it's fascinating. Everyone's going through about the same thing, you know, right. it, it's not like we're surprised anymore much. It's like, it's kind of like everyone, they all, they're not aligned and they're not aligned for the same reasons or one of, or, or three of eight reasons. And then you fix it and you they see the light and then they're aligned and it's awesome. So where where did you who are you, Andrea? I know we worked. I don't together. really know. It wasn't until doing some research for the show I found out some really fantastic things about your, your Oh gosh. But like go back, take us back. Like how did you end up in this thing? Have you always had a marketing sense? Did you always want to be in marketing or what what's your what's your thing? You know what's funny is I actually um studied agriculture economics so no yeah. the answer is no uh, uh, I uh, uh. didn't start out in marketing I think I took an ag marketing class which is I think we've had a few ag clients here or there but nothing compared to what I was studying and yeah no I, I fell upon it and fell in love with it and then next thing I know I'm working for you after you, you met me at that conference and we tweeted back and forth for a few months so geez well weird. we have to talk about that but take me back to um you're actually from, so you're from Kansas. I am from Kansas. Okay. And right smack dab in the middle. Farming was going to be your thing. Yeah, just something with food. I think I studied agriculture <laughs> economics. I hear First you. First of all, that. I love food. Number Hell one, yeah. food. Shout out to food. Getting Shout food out listening. to food. We're going to at tag you after the show. <laughs> yes, food. <laughs> um, but I mean, really, it was, first of all, you're in Kansas. The best degree you can get is an agriculture economics degree. At least I went to Kansas state university, one of the best ag schools out there. I'm biased obviously, but for me, it was really like, I was always fascinated, not only with food, but with people's decisions around food because food is something you have to have. Right. Right. So what's really interesting is why people make certain decisions about what they do eat, what they don't eat. Right. And especially now, like even since I studied it, people have, so many different diets and regimens and things that they believe yeah. in, don't believe in related to food and how it's grown. Yeah. And there wasn't even that interest when I studied it, to be honest. And I think when I think back to why did I end up where I am now, I think it has yeah. something to do with, I was always just super intrigued by like behavioral economics. Why do people make the decisions they do, especially when it's something that they have to have? They have to have food. Right. So it's not like, so should I get food or not? You're going right. to get it. But then it's like, which one do you do? Exactly. And like, what makes people like, what's the trigger, right? And so what I essentially wrote as a thesis for grad school is what is, and it was like a mathematical thing, right? Because that's grad school. It's math. So luckily now I don't have to do as much math. Grad like school was concept. math? Oh, economics. Yeah. 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 I sense. mean, lots of equations, but it's the equation of like, multi-touch attribution, right? Sure. Of like, all of these things happen as you're making buying decisions. Yep. Which one is the one that's like, that's it. I'm doing it. I am now dairy free and I am only buying soy milk. And then the soy milk industry like skyrockets, right. skyrockets, right? So I think it, 
looking back, it all definitely was marketing. And it's like a lot of the same concepts that I use with clients. And we're talking about tracking attribution and buyer behavior. It's all the same thing. But yeah, it started with ag. Who knew? You know, I guess that's, we could really just dive into that because I think about even like organic, that used to be a thing reserved for Whole Foods. But yeah. now every store has that offering. All these, man. You know? All these gets it going. Costco, people love organic and people are switching crazy to Costco because of their organic selection. Yeah. Right. Now, now I recall you saying earlier that you didn't, did you not know what you wanted to do when you first went to school or you, you took like a summer off or how, how did that go down? Yeah. So my mom back, this is way back, right? Yeah. Back in you're, the day. You're deciding back in the day, you're deciding yeah, where like do I want to go to ago, Seriously. No, no, not <laughs> well. Yes, I mean yes, definitely. Well, six yes. years ago, I'm ripe age of twenty five. No. Yes, <laughs> um, I don't know. It was my mom did the whole classic mom thing where she's trying to save me money, but I'm a kid who's not going to listen to it no matter what. So she said, <laughs> "Here are your options: you stay here in Kansas, which sounded just devastating to any seventeen, eighteen year old at the time, and <laughs> right. you go to an in state school, but I'll let you study abroad, or I'll let you." toy with the idea of going out of state to college. And she gave me that kind of ultimatum. I can pick one or the other. So I went the study abroad route, actually. Yeah. Which I didn't think, like, up to the second, I was, like, for sure getting out of here. And now I, like, don't live in Kansas anymore and I miss it and think about it fondly all the time. Yeah. But yeah, I ended up studying abroad for a year and a half in Argentina and Argentina. just figuring it out. See. What was that yeah. like? Because, you know, I, I see, you know, documentaries about – Patagonia and oh yeah, some of those that's where I was. I was smacking dab in the middle of the Patagonia. Really, it for was awesome. A year? For like a year and wow. some change, yeah. Learned Spanish, lost life? a lot of it. Okay, cool. You're a translator. Honestly, <laughs> right? <laughs> See, um, I don't know. Like you know, when you're, I was 18, 17, 18. Right. So you're like at the time, it was more figuring out myself and because yeah. it is like a brand new language i learned spanish on the spot i had taken spanish for four years and then i right. get there and i don't remember a lick of it it's like you have to pay um, attention because you're, you're like i'm never going to use this and then it's like oh i'm in argentina well <laughs> and even i was like i'm good at spanish but you get there and they're they're not slowing down no. a lot <laughs> for you <laughs> yeah so you go to like go buy like back then it was like a calling card or like yeah. candy and you're, it was like an actual experience, you know, nothing like all of the play or role playing that you did in Spanish class. But yeah, sure. I got there. It was a lot of just figuring myself out, a lot of like time with my own thoughts, and a lot of not necessarily studying. I was supposed to be there studying, but I did a lot more <laughs> like social studying of just yes. learning how to like adapt to your environment and meet people, even if that means learning a new language. Saying they know how to throw down in Argentina. I mean, yes, they go out, you go out at like 11 o'clock at night and you, I remember wow. I'd come back at 6am the next morning and have to drink mate, which is like their tea that they drink with the straw. You've probably seen it in whatever documentaries mate. with my host family yeah. before I could go back to sleep. So that was the life, the boliche life. The boliche life. It'd be a great name for this, uh, for this episode. No one would know what it means, but it'd be <laughs> so cool. They'd have to wait till the end of the end of the, the the podcast to know what we're talking about but that yeah we don't have any boliche clients so i don't know if we can some <laughs> that would be too fun <laughs> i keep asking sales like get us some hawaiian clients that need multiple on-sites <laughs> right right i feel like anytime i get an on-site in winter i'm going to like cold new york 
Maine. New Jersey. Yeah, New Jersey, Michigan. And I'm like, wait, guys, sell those later in the year when it's gorgeous there. And then yes. let's sell some in my neck of the woods for the rest of the year. Right. Like, let's have the Super Bowl in Minneapolis in the middle of the summertime when everything's amazing. Oh, yeah. There you go. You know, that would be better. But but take me take me back to the economics because when I, when I learned this about you, um, economics is – there's some good stuff in there. That's like foundational. And it's these kind of things that can really shape your later experiences. So, you know, ag marketing, but tell me about the, the, you, you studied math, you studied theory, what kind of things that, you know, come to mind that you've drawn on, you know, as you've been, you know, marketing revenue. Definitely like, so you think of economics, you think supply and demand, right? And right. ag economics is even a little bit more microeconomics than your traditional supply and demand graphs. And you have to find, you know, all of these points along a lot of axes. I definitely know how to do all that, although I'm probably a little bit rusty. I think the biggest thing, though, is, again, it comes down to, like, buying decisions. Like, right. at what point, like, I need said product or service. Yeah. These are my options, supply, right? These yeah. are like all of the different options I have. There's obviously price and hitting equilibriums, and there's all sorts of theories that are involved when you study economics. But sure. it really comes down to when do they meet and like what outside influence affects where they meet and right. what decision is made by the buyer. So I think anytime I go and I talk to, and I have to admit, like, because I dealt with so many scenarios specific to ag and food and um, even some manufacturing and things like that. Those are really interesting to me because again, and it is a lot of B2B just to be honest, because that's when you start talking about raw goods and they turn into intermediate goods. And I mean, it definitely plays in and they're all just trying to get a grasp on what the their market looks like, right? So market environments, which is key economics, where they are, what their pitching point is or their niche and how they can kind of wrangle the supply and demand of their own little market. So I think I, I think of it all the time that I, you know, any scenarios that we have with ag clients or manufacturing clients, I always just like really geek out about because lots of case studies in my past about those exact scenarios. But I, this is interesting. It sounds it sounds like you're more perceptive of outside influences because mm-hmm. whether it's agriculture or any any market, you know, you have you have the supply and demand, you have the price going up and down, you know, ideally based on those factors. But then there's other things. Um, mm-hmm. There's a tariff on this particular yeah. product over in China. Now the U.S. has one on this product, and now our prices and ag commodity changed. pricing they're set by an outside you know, yeah, factor as well. But I think it's just, I mean, it's definitely applicable to anything you do. How I got, because I didn't, I mean, I could have taken so many more classes in ag marketing and just marketing in general. And I, I honestly only took a couple. I took, I had to take like a farm machinery class, which is hilarious because I don't have like an official born on a farm background. Right. But I had to take a class where I had to identify different pieces of farm machinery. That was terrible. <laughs> But I took that over some marketing classes, but I still think that it was, what, what was really like helpful. Identifying photos. Is this like the, the class? They and everybody the else was too? great at it because they well, had them like, like in their backyards or pastures. Tractor. That's a. That's but way a more intense. Combine. Like combine, but then type of combine. Like, Ooh. And everybody else, again. Do you remember any? 
No, <laughs> hopefully my ag machine, like what, my ag machinery teacher is listening. I don't know. I doubt <laughs> it. But, <laughs> sure she is. That was a while ago, but all of these other students, though, they didn't have to study because they're like, oh yeah, I bought one last week. And I'm like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this one has a little twirly thing at the front. <laughs> right. That's like taking Spanish if that's your native language. It's like, that's not fair. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. That's, that's really interesting. And so, and then we met at a conference. Was that? Yeah, so I was doing Pardot right out of college. And yeah. I remember you were on Twitter geeking out over Pardot too. Twitter. And I was just excited about Pardot, setting it up for the company I work for and just really nerding out about it. And so we had exchanged tweets, happened to be at the one of the Pardot conferences in Atlanta yeah. and oh, was it met Atlanta? up. And it was in Atlanta. Yeah, it was like, it wasn't the like connection pre, or something. It was connections. Yeah. Was it? Okay. It was before exact target, the year before exact target bought yeah 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 it was in the w hotel in atlanta i remember that i oh. think wasn't it yeah was it or was that connections it Man, might have been getting old we have to we should go I look know. this up well and then there was the year that we met at imagine dragons that was when we were in indianapolis that was connections the exact, in india yeah 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 for sure this wild Great so content. yeah then <laughs> you're like i have this job that seems kind of too good to be true you can work from the beach yada 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 right. and the rest is history right Trying to, trying to, don't worry, I'm not a psycho. We are really building something here. <laughs> and most trust say, me on this one. I love Pardot. You love Pardot. Let's just make this happen, you know? Right. And I remember my boss at the time was there with me and you were joking with him, like, I'm going to make her come work for me. And he was like, ha ha, <laughs> you better not. And the next thing I know, I'm like, here's my two weeks notice. <laughs> I do that every now and then. It gets me in trouble. <laughs> no, it's good. It worked out though. We yeah, did that. We got really some great did. people. Really I was on did. the ground floor. And you moved to Charleston. I did. Tell so I me about up that. on the beach offer. Because I know, I know you moved and, you know, all the insurance companies and whoever were saying, is it okay that she moves? I'm like, yeah, totally. I know. I know. You had to like do a lot of signing Sign and paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I took you up on it. So, you know, Casey had said, you know, if you come work for me, you can work from the beach. And I'm yeah. here in Kansas, middle of nowhere, very far from the beach, as far from the beach on either side as you could be. Right. Um, had family this direction, like not in Charleston, but Charleston was always that place. So I was like, I want to move there. Yeah, it's so classy. about six months into working for me, for you, and I realized oh, this is a legit job. He has a lot of work for me to do. <laughs> I, I went I for it. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I've never looked back. Was I left Kansas. Was that the Sorry. year that had that crazy snow in Kansas? I think I traveled Probably. there a couple times, and it was like the craziness past the car and stuff. And uh, Well, we have a lot of ice in Kansas. So I remember great. like okay. working from home, obviously you don't have to go out in it as much. But yeah. I remember I started working. I got a dog because that's what you do when you work from home. You're like, I can handle totally. another dog. It's like so I got a dog. <laughs> yeah. But then this dog would not go to the bathroom. And outside, because it was cold, because it's a wiener dog, so it's low to the ground, snow, doesn't work. But what do you do? You have to dig up. So that's exactly it. You have to dig up like a little patch for them to do their business. Jeez. But I remember it was, it's so icy there that like you have to do that before it ices over. So it's, the snow's not, it's not any Boston snow like I've seen right. via Skype <laughs> in your backgrounds occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Like it's ice. So I remember I like couldn't get through the ice to get my dog a little potty area. My, brand new wiener dog puppy that's like an inch from the ground right and i was like i'm moving i'm gonna do this next thing i know we made it happen yeah that's awesome i love that you guys just picked up and we're like let's let's we're seeking warmer climates 
at Charleston's classy. They've got you know great restaurants. You've got ocean, warmer oh, yeah. weather. I mean, the list goes on. Much warmer. Now. It looks pretty nice out the window now. It's not. Is it snowing. hot? How is it down there? Is it is pretty nice? It's eighty four today. Yeah, people in you know Minnesota, Michigan, are like I hate you. <laughs> I know we have people on the team in Canada and you know Michigan yeah, and Michigan. we we try to not bring it up too much. Right. It's funny at first, but then it's just like, I don't want to hear, <laughs> but right. it's, I'm, I'm in you know New Hampshire and it's, it's nice. Uh, it's actually kind of hot today. Yeah. I was in one of those, the foyer between the inside and I was getting kind of cold inside actually. This weird stuff happens. I get cold and, and it's getting warm. I was getting, maybe I'm sick. I don't know. But I was, I was walking to that foyer and it was really hot in there. And I was like, Ooh, this is nice. I'm kind of warming up here. And then I opened the door and the temperature didn't change. And I was like, this is cool. Uh, or hot, really. This is great. It's nice and warm, <laughs> finally. And you know, we, we don't take this for granted up here because, you know, I'm sure in two weeks it'll be too hot. But right now it's pretty nice. Right. That's like us in the mugginess, right? Like our water temperature just hit 70. <laughs> and after 70 degrees, it gets muggy here. That's why we can't cool down. Uh, like, that's why you hear about it being humid in the south because our water temperature is so high and we're so close to the coast. So. Things I didn't know before I moved here from Kansas. So, right. There you go. A little knowledge, some little ocean but knowledge. Still do it. You, would you still do it again? Oh yeah. Yeah. Seems like a good move. And now you have two dogs. Two dogs. How do you keep track? Yeah, uh, they're very easy. They're small. <laughs> they don't go far. Small. They don't go far. They know. They know who feeds them. <laughs> right. They're a little bit needy. They're my coworkers. Oh, they man. don't do much though. They're not on the payroll. Right. Right crazy and they're 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 like your your fans and do they watch football with you because i know you're a huge football fan from college yes, they watch football we're big football fans they love going to the beach in fact they probably hear me saying that right now and are stirring about beach um, beach, beach bacon oh, it's beach. their favorite place so <laughs> oh yeah we've got it we've got the life down here it's pretty nice that is awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I know you're so busy, but I wanted to, you know, share some of the strategy that you obviously share with people on onsites and the, and the teams you work with, mapping out their process. It's really cool. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me. I'm finally part of the world-renowned. Is that what we're saying? World-renowned. I like it. Hardcore marketing show. Hardcore marketing. Hey, what are some links where people can connect with you? What are some good places to connect? Twitter. Probably yeah. my best. Totally. Um, my handle is Dre Frage, D-R-E-F-R-A-Z. Um, very sophisticated, obviously. Cool. Put that in the show notes. That's, very hip. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, Twitter's my, my place. Twitter's Find your place. There. LinkedIn, cool. As long as they say LinkedIn, who, yeah. Where they heard about you, you know. Don't be I'm not as good at LinkedIn, but I'll accept it when I remember, when I get the little badge notification on my phone, for sure. <laughs> right. Totally, totally. So stick to Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been fun. It has been fun. We'll do more of these. We'll have a war story session where we just tell crazy stories. We should. We should start collecting like some myths as we go. We'll make a little scrapbook. Myth collection and then smash them all at once. And it won't be like a roast. It'll be like a nicer version of a roast, but really like what not to do. Yeah, a roast, a uh, marketing roast. That'd be pretty cool. (laughs) Next on the Hardcore Marketing Show. (laughs) Well, hey, hey everyone, thanks for listening. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.